And we are in 2 Kings. By the way, as you're doing that, on your way out, make sure you grab some of the invite cards for the Christmas services and real Christmas surprise on your way out and hand those out to people you come in contact with. Let them know what's going on here during the Christmas season that's ahead of us. 2 Kings, we're in chapter 21 as we continue to study through the history now of the the remaining children of Israel who are in Israel. As we've mentioned, it's the southern two tribes that are left, Judah and Benjamin, known as as Judah. The northern ten tribes have already been taken off into captivity by Assyria. And we've studied over our last couple of times together the reign of Hezekiah. And just as a reminder, back in chapter 18, it speaks that Hezekiah did right in the sight of the Lord, verse 2, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the Asherah. He broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Verse 5, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him, for he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. We spoke of this. Hezekiah, the Holy Spirit records for us here that Hezekiah was unlike any other king in Judah before or after. We've mentioned Israel never had a godly king, the northern tribes, and the the southern tribes of Judah, they had a few good kings, a few bad kings, a few started good, ended bad, a few started bad, ended good, but none were were like Hezekiah. The Holy Spirit records that for us. Now we're going to see, Lord permitting, we get to that a little bit tonight and into next week, Josiah who godly king, as we will see, he will be the last godly king in Judah. But Hezekiah, as again, it tells us here, unlike, unlike any other, one of the reasons we pointed out last time is he did everything that all of the others did, but he also removed the high places and he followed after God, as it tells us here, he clung to the Lord, did not depart from following after him, kept his commandments, all of them. Well, in our last time together, Hezekiah, passed away. It was after, remember, after the great miracle of deliverance that had come, the 185,000 Assyrians that were, that were destroyed um, by the angel overnight. Hezekiah had been warned years earlier that he was going to die. He, 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 asked, he, he cried out to the Lord and it was told to us that he would live for another 14 years. That, that word came back to him. And during that time, we covered that time this, this last time now meeting, leading into verse or chapter 21, Manasseh, his son, will take over for him after he passes, over, passes away. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. So that means Manasseh is born after that original prophecy was made that he was going to die and then live for another 14 years. So Manasseh is born after that time frame. He was 12 when he became king. He reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, the longest reign of any king in Israel, 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah. And if you didn't read verse two yet, what would you think? 
You probably read that he followed after, after his father's ways and that's why he reigned for 55 years because he kept following after his dad and kept on following the Lord. But look what verse two says. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel, like the people that were living in the land before the Israelites got there. Notice verse three, for he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah as Ahab king of Israel had done and worshiped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He got involved in astrology, Baal worship, Asherah worship, all of these things. He built, notice verse four, he built altars in the house of the Lord of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem I will put my name. He built altars in the temple of God to other gods. He built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of God. Verse six, I mean, it just, it keeps getting, keeps getting worse. Verse six, he made his sons pass through fire. We've talked of that before. That is worshiping of the God of Molech. One of the most heinous things imaginable. And just to describe in it, I know it makes us all uneasy, but if you don't understand what it means passing through the fire, the God Molech, how they would worship the God Molech, a fertility God, it was, they'd have a bronze idol or then heat up the, heat him up to the, this idol up to where it was glowing, it was so hot, and then place their live babies into his arms and offer them burnt offerings alive in the arms of Molech. That, that's, how, that's how heinous this worship was. And he did that. His son's passing through the fire. That's what that means. He practiced witchcraft, used divination, he dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger, I'd say. Then he set the carved image of, of Asherah and he, that he had made in the house of the Lord, which, which said to David and the sons of Solomon, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, if only they will observe and do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But, verse nine, they did not listen. And Manasseh seduced them to do evil more than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. Amazing to read this account of the, the reign of Manasseh. Again, following after what the Holy Spirit records for us as the most godly king that's, that's ruled in Judah, his son, as it reads in verse 9, the most wicked. Doing the things that were done before the children of Israel got there, started continuing the worship that, that was going on through the, 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 the time that the others were still there. They were supposed to cast them out. They were supposed to drive them out and embracing all of these wicked practices, all of them. And I do believe that one of the reasons why it's more evil than the nations that they cast out is because Manasseh knew better. Manasseh knew the truth. Manasseh knew the true and living God. He was, at least for, for 12 years of his life, he was raised knowing the true and living God. 
and yet completely rejects. Now, the Bible says that, that no, no person is without excuse. The heavens declare the glory of God and, and that. But there's this, another element of accountability once we know the truth. And Manasseh knew the truth. The children of Israel knew the truth. Yet Manasseh turned them away and they followed him eagerly. Now, when we, we look at this, it's interesting and I just to just, I guess, make a point. I'm not real big into names. I think the, the meaning of names is, is kind of interesting. But the name Manasseh, if, you'll, if, if the name sounds familiar, it should, because this Manasseh isn't the first Manasseh. As a matter of fact, Manasseh, the name is introduced to us back in Genesis as one of Joseph's sons who will, that's why the, the tribe Manasseh, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of Joseph. And it's recorded for us in Genesis when Joseph names his son Manasseh, what Manasseh means and why he named him Manasseh. It says in, in Genesis 41:51 that Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh saying, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Manasseh means to forget or to cause to forget. Now we don't know why Hezekiah named his son Manasseh, but we do know why Joseph did. And, and it's interesting when we think about that because to forget, there's, there's, there's a good forget and a bad forget, right? <laughs> there's things that, we sh that we're supposed to forget. As a matter of fact, Paul will pick up that idea, what Joseph had here, Paul will pick up that idea in Philippians when he says, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind. That's what Joseph was saying when he named Manasseh, Manasseh. Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting all of the past. And Joseph had quite a past to forget, didn't he? I mean, one of, the, one, of, one of the sons of his father, the favorite son of his father, who because he was the favorite, his brothers sold him into slavery, into Egypt. He gets to Egypt, gets sold to, to this man named Potiphar. He's, he's an excellent servant, raised, becomes the leader of all of the other servants that are there, is given complete control of the house. Potiphar's wife keeps trying to seduce him. He, he's a godly young man, so he runs away. One day she seduces him again. He tries to run away. She grabs his coat and then says he tried to rape her. He gets thrown in jail. He becomes, he, again, godly example. They're in jail thinking, okay, I just continued this. He works his way up, put in control of a lot of these different things. He interprets a couple of dreams for some guys who are there. And he says, hey, don't forget about me when, the, when you get out of here. And what do they do? Well, one died. That's what he said. That's going to happen. He died right away. The guy that didn't die, he said, don't forget about me. Guess what? He forgot about him. Eventually, you know the story, how it goes. He, he's put in second con in command to... to to Pharaoh in all of Egypt. And he says, you know what? This, as I'm moving forward from here, I'm forgetting what lies behind. And that's what Paul challenges us to do. Forget what lies behind. We have to reach forward and, uh, to what lies ahead. The prize, the upward call of, of God in Christ Jesus. Now that does not mean that we have this total mind meld where we, you know, our history, our past is completely gone. No, what it means is we don't let our, our past affect us as we go forward. Those things that, that, can, that can trip us up when we get, start worrying about our past, worrying about what people have done, that type of thing. We need to forget that. The problem is we have such a tendency to forget the things we're supposed to remember and remember the things we're supposed to forget. 
right? And the problem is Manasseh forgot what he was supposed to remember because it tells us, as we see here, when it was talking about that in verse 8, I will put my name forever, God speaking of this, that I will, I will basically make Israel immovable. They are, this, is their pro, this is their land. I'm giving it to them. It's theirs as an inheritance. They will never be moved from here unless they turn away from me, unless they don't follow me. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23, Moses speaking to the children of Israel, so watch yourselves that you do not forget the covenant of the Lord. Your, the Lord your God, which he gave with, which he made with you, and make with yourselves a graven image in the form of anything against which the Lord your God has commanded you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Moses said, don't forget the covenant. Don't make any images. Don't make any, any idols because God is a consuming fire and a jealous God. And by the way, guys, God being a jealous God is a good thing for you and I that he is jealous for us. But he goes on, when you become the, the, when, sorry, when you become the fathers of children and children's children and have remained long in the land and act corruptly and make an idol in the form of anything and do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord your God is to so provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land you are going over the Jordan to possess. You shall not live long in it and will be utterly destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. That's a prophecy that's given and he's saying, don't forget this. Problem is, Manasseh forgot that. <laughs> he decided he was gonna do his own thing and we see as this just tumbles out of control. We're going to see the judgment that comes because of it. Well, verse 10. And by the way, he did more evil than all of the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. Verse 9. And again, I remind you, he reigned longer than any of them. Any king. So that just is a little, little side note to make. Just because you're prospering doesn't mean God's in favor of what you're doing. Just because you, you got a good run going doesn't mean that God's behind it. We need to make sure everything that we do lines up with the word of God and the will of God for our lives. So, but verse 10, now the Lord spoke through his servant, the prophets, saying, now many prophets spoke, no doubt, during this time. Many of, many of them recorded, and we have the, what they said in the word for us. This is the time of Hosea, Joel, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Isaiah. Talk more about that in a second. But they kept, they were saying, the Lord spoke through these prophets saying, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these abominations, having done wickedly more than all the Amorites did and, and who were before him, and also made Judah sin with his idols, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing such calamity on Jerusalem and Judah that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. Now that is a common verbiage back then that just made, basically made it like a trumpet blast, I mean, or, or a loud horn. You know, when your, your ears, after you hear something like that, you're kind of, almost like, you, 
you're gonna hit, you, you won't believe the calamity that is coming. That's basically what this is saying. I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. I will abandon the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies and they will become as plunder and spoil to all their enemies because they have done evil in my sight and have been provoking me to anger ever since the day their fathers came from Egypt even to this day. We know this as we've been studying through. If you've been a part of our study or if you've read this, you know the history. Going all the way back, this, within days of when they crossed the Red Sea, they start complaining, they start doubting God, and it was just this continual thing. They'd, they doubted God going into the promised land. That's why they spent 40 years in the wilderness. It's been a, just an ongoing problem with them, but it's finally reached its end. God's patience with them, his long suffering has finally reached an end with them. Moreover, verse 16, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood until he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides his sin in which he made Judah sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So in addition to all of the stuff that we've already covered, it says that many innocent people were put to death. And the, 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 again, a, a figure of speech that very much blood till one side of the city to the other is covered in blood. Now, the Bible does not teach this, but Jewish history does, and the early church taught it as, as fact, that Manasseh had Isaiah, the prophet, sawn in two. The prophecy that was coming, that Isaiah was bringing against him, he finally had enough of it and he had him executed by putting him in a log and cutting the log in half. And that part of that, again, that innocent blood and the, the mouthpiece of God coming to him. Now verse 17 says, now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and his sin which he committed, are they not written in the books of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his fathers and was buried in the garden of his own house, in the garden of Uzzah, and Ammon his son became king in his place. Now, I, I am really excited to tell you that that's not the whole story. You guys, you guys remember Paul Harvey? Remember the, the rest of the story stories? You know, well now you're gonna hear the rest of the story. Turn to Second Chronicles because the for, for whatever reason, we're not, the, the, the entire story is not recorded for us here. Second Chronicles chapter 33. Second Chronicles 33, beginning in verse 10. Now, it, verse nine, again, we could see, thus Manasseh misled Judah and the inhabitants of, of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. Now, that's right where we kind of had that cut over last time. And then it said that the, that the Lord spoke through the prophets, remember? Well, that's where it picks up here. The Lord spoke to Manasseh, notice, and his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them, and they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze and chains, and took him to Babylon. So here we see again, God speaking to him, speaking to all of them, 
speaking the word to them and, and just so that they would turn. God is so patient. God is so gracious to extend this opportunity through his word, but he refused the word. We saw that last time. It says it here, but they paid no attention. So God now moves to action and he has the Assyrians, and again, we've talked of their brutality already, but we see it played out here. They, the, they came and they captured Manasseh with hooks. We talked of that. The way that they would transport their prisoners to get them to go where they wanted them to go without much effort was they would put a hook either through their nose or through their jaw, and you've got a hook through your jaw and a rope on the other end of it, you're gonna go where the guy's tugging on that rope, right? So, that, that happens to Manasseh, and it says that he's taken off to Babylon. Now, we talked about already, Babylon was a, was a smaller city. It's growing in power, still under the Assyrians at this point. Eventually, Babylon will overthrow Assyria, but still here. here so God is, God is doing this, and notice what it says, verse 12. When he, Manasseh, was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God, important, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. When he prayed to him, he was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Wow. So here we see that in this, in this story, what is taking place? Manasseh, we've detailed now, chronicled all of his wickedness. God was speaking to him and not getting through. He was ignoring him. So God moves to the next thing and get, takes him here. And I use, this is like the, the ultimate prodigal son story. Here we see again, somebody who knew the truth. Hezekiah's son, no doubt knowing the truth, completely walking away from God completely and totally. As we've seen it detailed, God speaking to him, that's not working, taking him here, and we see the response. He's in distress, and he entreated the Lord, and notice, that's important, his God. In this process, Almighty God became Manasseh's God. Prior to that, Manasseh was Manasseh's God. He was doing, worshiping all these other things, doing whatever else it was, but it was through this process that Almighty God, his father's God, David's God, became his God. And I, I, I see this, and it, 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 this really speaks so much to me because I have to tell you, I can relate personally to Manasseh. Not in the details of the, the sin that he committed, but guys, I, and I've shared this with many of you before, and I've shared it, most of you maybe know the, 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 my history, but I grew up in a Christian home, but I walked away. And I ran off into those prodigal years. And it took, I, the Lord sent many people to me, many friends, many times I would hear a word, there were many times at night I'd be laying in bed and I'd be crying myself to sleep knowing what I was doing was wrong and saying, God, I, I, I'm gonna get this right. I'm gonna get this, I'm, you know, I'm sorry for that. I'd go to church on a Sunday or whatever. And then, but I'd go back away and God, God finally then had to take it to that next step. And guys, I had to reach the end of myself. I had to reach the bottom. I had to hit hard 
And it was there that I was on my knees, on my face, actually, one night after watching, watching the show, the, the, a sermon that was just so speaking to me, Charles Stanley, I could still hear his voice, and called me, and I was absolutely, totally repentant before the Lord. I was here in this distress, and I entreated my God. But I want you to notice this, too. Notice it says that when he prayed to him, he, that needs to, if it's not capitalized in your Bible, fix that, because it's supposed to be. He was moved. God was moved by Manasseh's prayer. Not only did God hear it, I don't know about you, but that to me alone amazes me. I won't ask you for a show of hands, because I'll, I'll put mine up, because I'm guilty, but you guys would, you can deal with it yourself. You ever gotten a call from somebody who's really made you mad? Who's offended you? Who's hurt you? Who's done something and you look at the call and you're like, yeah, whatever. Deal with that later. No? Just me? Probably. <laughs> no confession time. God looked at the call and said, it's Manasseh. Yes, son. That's what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for this call. And guys, I know that because I was there. God had no reason to answer my call because I knew the truth and I walked away. I, I walked away hard and long, for a long time, but as soon as I called, he answered. He listened. He was moved. He heard the supplication, brought him back, restored him. Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. God does not put any words, filler words, in his Bible. There's no filler words in God's word. It doesn't just say he will pardon. It says he will abundantly pardon. And then verse eight, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I've already shared with you why I can kind of relate to Manasseh, but I also can relate to all of us who no doubt have a little bit of a feeling that says, okay, all right, but yeah, but you didn't, you didn't have a prophet sawed in half. You didn't... Offer your children in the arms of Molech. You didn't do all of these other things. I mean, there, there's got to be a line somewhere, right? I mean, did, again, confession time. Does it bother any of you that all it took was Manasseh to say, uh, to, to, to repent, and all of that was washed away? I remember sharing uh, not too long ago about the son of Sam killer, you know, in, in New York from the 70s, David Berkowitz. He's a born-again believer now, and he's going to heaven because all of that's been wiped away, and I shared that one time, and somebody came up to me afterwards, and, 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 and I, 
in honesty, because we have to deal with these things honestly. He says, I really struggle with that. I really struggle with that because he actually, he and his wife lived in New York at that time. And they were terrorized by this guy before they caught him. And he says the, the, the terror of, of having children and not knowing you know, if our daughter was safe and all of that kind of stuff. And just to think that all it took was a prayer and all of that's washed away. And, and that is tough to, to, for us to reconcile with. But guys, it, 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 Micah chapter seven, verse 18 who is a God like you? Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread on our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. Guys, there's, there's, this, there's this piece about this that we have to embrace, and it goes back to that verse in Isaiah where it says his ways are so much higher than our ways and his thoughts than our thoughts. You see, the, the thing about it that blows me away is we're struggling with how somebody like Manasseh could be forgiven or David Berkowitz or whoever. We could struggle at times about that person that hurt us deeply, personally. How, how they could just be forgiven simply by, by asking for forgiveness. We can struggle with that. And guys, that, that, that's a problem as it is. But I heard it put this way, I, I, and I'm gonna paraphrase it because I didn't write it down the exact quote. But guys, we see something every day that God never sees. And that's something like us. See, when I look at you, I see a sinner. But I'm a sinner. But God never sees anybody like him. He's completely other. He's completely holy. And in his complete and absolute holiness, he still chooses to forgive us. He still chooses to remove our iniquity from us. And it's not because of anything we do. It's, that's the thing that I want to stress in this is because it, somehow we justify in ourselves, well, Manasseh should have to do something. Well, praise God he didn't. Because he couldn't. There's nothing he could do to make up for all that he did. But there's nothing we can do to make up for all that we did. That's why Jesus did what he did. And Manasseh's forgiven the same way you and I are forgiven. It was just looking forward to the cross then and we look back to it. I guess a closing thought on that before I move on to the next little piece, but if you're here tonight or listening to this on the live broadcast or watching it sometime in the future, whatever, and you've strayed away from the Lord. All it takes is a humble heart and crying out to God. He's waiting to answer that call. And something in this story, again, I guess blesses me beyond anything I can even grab a hold of because, guys, if Manasseh 
can be saved? Simply by crying out to God, I can. And you can. So you might be thinking, and again, believe me, I know, if you're here and you've, you're, you're a believer and you've wandered away, you've backslidden and you, you're playing a game right now and everybody else is buying into the game, but you know you're playing a game, I know exactly how you feel because I was there. And I know exactly what the enemy is telling you because he was telling me that. He ain't going to forgive you. You went too far. But I'm here to tell you that he's a liar. And all it takes is, again, just being humble and crying out to God. Now, if you are a parent or a grandparent of a prodigal, there's a major message in this for you too. Twofold. One, don't ever give up. doesn't matter how far they've strayed or how far they've gone. As we see here, it's just in a moment. But secondly, and here's the one that we really struggle with as parents and grandparents, we have to let God do what God's going to do. We have to, and we're going to see this this weekend, just letting you in on a little bit of where we're heading this weekend a little bit, but we have to let God be God. We have to release them to God. If Hezekiah was still alive, I'm imagining he'd probably be protecting and putting, putting you know, safety nets all around Manasseh. Because we saw that with all of the kings and all, of, you know, they're, they're, and all priests with their children who were, who were going against the Lord, putting these, these barriers around them to make sure that they're safe. Well, Manasseh needed to have a hook stuck in his jaw humbled and taken to prison in Babylon for this to happen. And I guarantee you Manasseh's not upset <laughs> after this is all over. It had to happen. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 65, it says, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me Good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. As we, as parents and grandparents of prodigals, we need to trust God that he knows what he's doing, that he's sovereign and in control, and by the way, he loves them more than we do. And we need to let him, first of all, let the word come, and we need to be that, you know, Lord might want to use us to bring that word to them, but then it comes to that point where we need to release that and let God do what God's going to do. And we see what takes place here. His prayer, it does tell us back in Back in 2 Chronicles, it does tell us that after this all takes place, he returns and he knows that the Lord is God. It's, it's again now his God. And look what takes place, verse 14. Now after, he, after this, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David on the west side of, of Gihon in the, in the valley, even to the entrance to the fish gate. And he encircled the, the Ophel with it and made it very high. So he now builds a protective wall. He's seen what's out there. <laughs> he knows the enemy now. 
So he comes back and he's fortifying the city. Then he put an army commanders on the fort, in all the fortified cities of Judah. Notice verse 15. He also removed the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord, as well as all the altars which he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem and threw them outside the city. He set up the altar for the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it. And he ordered Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Again, looking at it now, isn't it all worth it? Everything that he had to go through? Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed in high places, although only to the Lord their God. So they go back to pre Hezekiah, the nevertheless that we kept on reading over and over and over again. Hezekiah did away with the high places. They continued there. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, even his prayer to his God and the words of the, of the seers who spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel, are they among the records of the kings of Israel? His prayer also and how God had, was entreated by him and all his sin, his unfaithfulness, the sites he built, written in the records of Hosea. These things are lost. We don't have these records. We don't have a record of his prayer, what he prayed. But guys, it's not what he prayed that mattered. It was his heart that was humbled and broken and crying out to God. Sometimes I think we, it's good that that prayer isn't there because somehow we could think, well, all I gotta do is read that and everything's fine. No, it's the heart. It probably was a real short prayer. All right, well, judgment, judgment is still coming on Judah I just have a note here. I'll jump over here, read this real quick. Jeremiah, the prophet, we're going to hear from him in just a moment again too, but in 15, chapter 15 of Jeremiah, it says, and it shall be that when you say, when they say to you, where should we go? Then you are to tell them, thus says the Lord, those destined for death to death, those destined for the sword to the sword, those destined for famine to famine, those destined for captivity to captivity. I will appoint over them four kinds of doom, declares the Lord, the sword to slay, the dogs to drag off, the birds of the sky and the beasts of the earth to devour and destroy. I will make them an object of horror among all the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, for what he did to Jerusalem. And we see back in, now we're, let's go back to 2 Kings, we see in verse 10 of 21, now the Lord spoke through his prophet's servant, the prophet, saying, I'm sorry, it's back in 2 Chronicles, and you probably turned back from there now. It's verse 10 in 2 Chronicles. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So Manasseh, yes, was the leader. He was the one who took them in, but guys, they were willing and ready and eager to follow. We've seen this over and over and over again. Manasseh repented, but the people didn't. They, some did, and, and no doubt some of the things that were stupid, and we're gonna see it here in a moment, the people didn't. It was Manasseh who did, and because they didn't, and because of this, this act, this is what brings the judgment, as was prophesied, that will come. So we see now verse 19, Ammon, the son of Manasseh, he reigns now after after Manasseh, and you would think now, after seeing everything that has taken place with his father, 
that he would follow godly Manasseh, but unfortunately, 22 years old when he became king and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Meshulameth, the daughter of Heruz of Jotba. He did evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh his father had done. For he walked in all the ways that his father walked and served the idols that his father had served and worshiped them. So he forsook the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. Verse 23, the servants of Ammon conspired against him and killed the king in his own house. Then the people of the land killed all those who had conspired against, the, against King Ammon. And the people of the land made Josiah, his son, king in his place. Now the rest of the acts of Ammon, which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? He was buried in, the grave, in his grave in the garden of Uzzah, and Josiah, his son, became king in his place. So Ammon, Manasseh's son, takes after and follows the evil practices, redid, you know, rebuilds a lot of the, the altars and all of those things that Manasseh had torn down when he came back. Manasseh or I'm sorry, Ammon, 22 years old. We don't know when this took place in Manasseh's life, probably late in his reign. He's in his, in his mid to late 60s by this time after reigning 50, 50 plus years. Ammon, 22 years old, probably for most of his life saw the wickedness of his father and no doubt very corrupted by that. Again, not in, in the word, not, to, not to quote, recorded for us in God's word, but history teaches that one of the things that Manasseh and Ammon did together was try to wipe out the word of God, destroy every copy of God's law, out of sight, out of mind, I guess. But we see that he then follows that. He's, he's murdered by some of his own uh, servants, but then those who killed him were killed because of that, and now we see Josiah, his son, taking his place. Now, chapter 22 tells us that Josiah, eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiha of Bozkath. He did, notice verse 2, he did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father David, nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. Now chapter three, or verse three, I'm sorry, jumps to the 18th year of King Josiah. Again, in Second Chronicles, we get a little detail of a couple of his, a few of his years earlier on. Chapter 34 of Second Chronicles says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord, walked in the ways of his father David, did not turn aside from the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still a youth, he began to seek the God of his father David. So early on in his reign, he's still young, 16 years old at this point, he begins to seek after God. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah in Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved images, and the molten images. They tore down the altars of the Baals in his presence and the incense altars that were high above them. He chopped down also the ashram, the carved images, the molten images. He broke into pieces and ground them into powder and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed them. Then he burned the bones of the priests on the altars and purged Judah and Jerusalem. And so we see here that, that God's certainly stirring in his heart 
And he takes, we saw Manasseh remove them, but then his son Ammon just take them and put them back. Josiah now takes them and destroys them, grinds them down to powder. It's completely eradicate. So there's never this temptation to go back to it. So back here now in 2 Kings, now in the 18th year of King Josiah's reign, the king sent Saphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah the priest, that he may count the money brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. Let them deliver it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are in the house of the Lord to repair the damages to the house, to the carpenters and to the builders and the masons, and for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Only no accounting shall be made for them for the money delivered into the hands, for they deal faithfully. So even through all of this process, and now no doubt under Josiah's reign and leadership, People are coming to the temple. People are bringing their offerings to the temple. Money is being collected. And over time, repairs need to be made. And especially after all of the setting up and tearing down of these false idols and and altars. So that is taking place. And notice verse 8 now. It says, Then Hilkiah, the high priest, by the way, Hilkiah is the father of the prophet Jeremiah, who was prominent during the reign of Josiah. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Saphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book of Saphan, the book to Saphan, who read it. What do you know? A copy of the word of God in the house of God. It's kind of, kind of, kind of ironic that you know, there'd be a Bible in church. And at, at, I, at Calvary Chapel, we kind of chuckle at that. But I'll tell you, the first time I came to Calvary Chapel, when the pastor said, take out your Bibles, I was like, you guys brought your Bibles? That was totally foreign to me, bring your Bible to church. <laughs> and unfortunately, this isn't practiced everywhere. That we have a copy of God's word and, and I, we encourage you bring your own so that you're writing in it and you're underlining and you're highlighting and you're, from, and, and you're reading through it in, in your own. But th- that's also, not only did they have, he, he get a copy of it, he read it. <laughs> Way too many times people have a copy of the word of God and it's a nice accessory in their home or something that they carry around to look real spiritual, but they weren't reading it. And I guess I, I look at that and I, I the, the part that strikes me is, notice again, I made comment of this a few verses earlier. Things were still happening. The, the process was still going on. Church was still happening without the word of God being read or acted upon. And how unfortunate that is that that's still, again, the case in a lot of places. But that's why we put such a heavy emphasis on it. That's why we get together. That's why we're studying it tonight because, guys, if you came here to hear anything I have to say, I'm sorry. Because I hope you came here to hear what God has to say because that's why I came. (laughs) Verse 9, Saphan the scribe came to the king and brought back word to the king saying, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it to the hand of the workers who have oversight of the house. Moreover, Saphan the scribe told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. 
And Saphan read it in the presence of the king. Notice what happens now. Josiah hearing the word of God possibly read, probably for the first time in his life. Remember, if history or if the tradition is correct, his father and his grandfather tried to wipe out every copy. So very possibly the first time he's ever hearing it, and when he heard it, says he tore his clothes. It's an act of absolute repentance, conviction over what he's hearing, grieving over the words that he's hearing, and we'll see why in a moment. It says, then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahiakim the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah the king's servant saying, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people. You got to go and talk to the Lord. You got to go talk to the Lord for us, not only from on my behalf, but on the people's And all of Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found, because for great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us, because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. You see, guys, he understood when he heard this and he read it that ignorance of the word of God and ignorance of God's ways or pleading ignorance is no excuse. And he understood when he heard it that God, again, God is holy, God is righteous, and there is, uh, if we do not follow what God says, there's repercussions for that. The the wages of sin is death. And he said, you gotta go and treat God for me in this. And I guess just the the part of this, that why it's so important that we're in the word of God, because the word of God is alive and active. Hebrews tells us, that the word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both of joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. If you have a copy of God's word, you need to be in it every day, reading it. And not just reading it, meditating on it, praying through it, asking God to speak to you and reveal things to you in your life because our, our goal as Christians, what our, our desire should always be to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, to become more and more like Jesus, the one whom this gave his very life for us. And he will do that in his word. And it will come through many times as it does with Josiah, as we'll be reading along, it happens to me so often, I'll be reading and something I've read numerous times before that I've just even just read right over, all of a sudden it'll be, that's for me today. That word right there, that, that verse, that speaking to me, many times will bring me to a point of repentance or conviction about something that I need to be doing differently or more or whatever it might be. So having a copy, reading it, Allowing it to speak to us and then living it, responding to it. Guys, that's where real revival takes place. And we're not going to have time to get much into it. As a matter of fact, let's see if we can just get through the end of the chapter here. But verse 23, we see what great revival actually takes place under, under Josiah because of this. But verse 14, so Hilkiah the priest Ahakim, Akbor, Saphan, and Asiah went to Huldah, the, pre- the prophetess, the wife of Shulam, the son of Tikva, the son of Harris, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke to her, and she said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord. 
Behold, I will bring evil on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the words of this book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me, they have burned incense to other gods, and they have, that they might provoke me to anger with all of the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath burns against this place, and it shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, regarding the words which you have heard. Verse 19, notice, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. So because he responded in the way that he did, God's word back to him is, it's still going to happen. This, this has been prophesied. This is going to take place. And as we saw in Jeremiah, because of the sins of Manasseh, because they had taken, basically gone past this tipping point, but because Josiah was this godly man, it was not going to happen to him. It was not going to happen while he was still king. And we're going to see, because again, we know, we're going to know that his, uh, a genuine man, because his response isn't, okay, well, cool. As long as it's not going to happen while I'm here, I can just sit back and be king. When I'm gone, let, you know, let whatever happen, happen. No, he goes to work, and we're going to see through the rest of his life how his passion was to turn as many people and even the whole country, nation again back to God. And we'll get to that next time, should the Lord tarry. Well, let's, let's pray as we close, but I do want to, um, I guess, extend an invitation to anyone who might be here that uh, the, the part about the whole prodigal peace is speaking to you. You might be that one that says, you know what, that is me. I have been one that's wandered away from the Lord, and I, I want to come back. I'd like to invite you to come up. I know Pastor Don is here. Bob's here, an elder. I myself will be up here. We'll, we'll, we'll be up front here if anybody wants to come up and pray. If you want to come up and intercede on behalf of a prodigal son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter, we'd love to do that with you as well. So when we're done, if you'd like to come up for prayer, let's do that. But let's close. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, God, that you are unlike any other, that you are absolutely holy. And Lord, we all thank you that in your holiness you choose to extend forgiveness and grace to us through Jesus, our Lord and our King. Lord, we ask that, that our lives would would represent that truth that we have been redeemed. And Lord, our, my prayer is for any of those who are, who are prodigals, who have wandered away, who perhaps have never come to you ever. Lord, that right now your Holy Spirit would move upon their hearts and that they would turn to you, humble themselves and turn to you now. And if that is you, you simply go before God in your heart right now and cry out as Manasseh did. Broken, humble, just simply saying, God, I need you. I've gotten into this mess. It's my own doing. It's my own sin. But I can't fix it. I can't get out. Jesus, I know you died for me. 
So I ask that you forgive me. You welcome me back. Lord, we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.